Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to come and look at your word and to see how you treat individuals that are disobedient and that what your purpose is and then all that as we look at this chapter. And we just thank you for this and ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that sets up his idol in his heart and puts the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart because they are all estranged from me through their idols. So let's look at this. Uh, here's Ezekiel, and he says some leaders came to him. And they came for the purpose of inquiring of God. So it, you would think when you looked at them, uh, you went to a prophet because you were looking for an answer from God. In this case, you know, you would look at them and say, wow, they, they've, they've come to their senses. They're coming, they're coming to the prophet. They're looking for answers. But God knew that their heart was not correct. And we see that in a real big way, even in our day, where people will claim that they're Christians and yet they'll live you know, with idols in their heart and, and everything else and not follow God. And this is what God's saying to them. He goes, you can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't mix, the, as we're told in James, fresh water and, and, and uh, salt water or brackish water. You, know, you end up with this mixed thing that's polluted. You don't have good and evil come out of the same, same fountain. And this is what God is saying to these people. That they've got idols in their heart. They've set up, they've stirred up, they've exalted idols in their hearts, and they've put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. In other words, they've got so much iniquity that they're stumbling around. And it's amazing to me when I see people who <clears throat> will tell you that they're a Christian and yet they live totally opposite of Christ all day long. Now, I can't say that they don't know God, but they're, you know, as James says, we can't, they can't prove that they know God because they're not following after what he says. Well, obviously, we're, we live in a sinful lifestyle that we're going to sin. But is sin the pattern of your life or it is more the exception of your life? And yes, it's going to be a problem for us at all times because we are sinners. But a Christian should be walking in a way that God shines through him and is crucify him and that they end up that they do good frequently enough that people look at them and say there's something different about this person but i'm talking about the people who they'll come to church on sunday and then they'll live like the world and, and the devil all week long and then they're going to tell you that they're a christian and to that i would say prove it to me what are you doing that is living living for christ And again, I'm not going to say that they're not a Christian, but if that's the only thing they did that was Christian-like was to come to church, and they're not opening their Bible, they're not praying all week long, they're not sharing Christ, they're not living a life that's sanctified, you have to look at saying, does this person know God? 
And these people coming to God, these were the leaders of Israel. They should have known better. And yet God's saying, <clears throat> they've got these idols in their hearts. They're worshiping idols. And they're living in their sins and stumbling around all, all the time. And then they dare to come to me. And this is something that happens, you know, and you, we see it. When 9-11 happened, the churches got filled for about three or four weeks by people going, how could this real awful, terrible thing happen, you know, and they go to God, seeking God, and yet they wanted to live as the world. And God, basically, when that happens, says, no. I'm not, he's not going to waste his, his breath going after people who aren't seeking after him. And this is where we see a big problem when people will try to pretend to want God and they'll, they'll do a show. And we've all seen it from different people who will put on the show. Good day for putting on the show is Resurrection Sunday. Everybody will come in their, their best clothes and pretend to be good for a, at least uh, the morning of, of that day and say, look at me, I'm a Christian, I came to church. It's the first time I've been in church for, for the entire year, but I'm in church today. And God is looking at these people and he says, in this question in verse 3, is kind of interesting. Should I be inquired of at all by them? You know, God's saying, should I even pay attention? Should they even be able to come into my presence? They went to the prophet to inquire of God. And God's saying, I don't care. I don't care that they're here. They're not wanting to hear from me. And sometimes, as Christians, this is an attitude, and we need to be very careful doing it, but there are times people that we don't need to be wasting our time talking to because they just want to be argumentative. They just want to argue. They don't, they're not looking for answers. But again, we need to be very careful of that as well, that we're not being too judgmental of anything that goes on because... We don't necessarily know exactly what their motivations are a lot of times. But again, we need to be careful of that, of uh, judging them for, for even that. Because we might be able to say something that's just right. But there's times when God is, t when somebody's talked to me and they wanted to talk to me and God has just said, no, don't worry about it. This person's not seeking after me. They're just trying to look good. Yeah. And this is something we need to be aware of. But we need to be very careful in how we deal with them even then because we still need to be loving toward them because that love is actually what's going to win people. God's love. We back off from it at that point because it's not that, many times it's not that big a deal. Too many people have to win an argument or a discussion at all cost. And that isn't where God is at. And this is where he's telling his prophet, it goes, you don't have to win the debate or argument with these people. You don't even have to tell them anything by God because they're not wanting me anyway. How many times have we wasted our breath talking to somebody who's not going to respond to anything we say and maybe we had two or three other people we could have been talking to that would have listened. And this happens oftentimes when people go out and do street evangelism. They'll sit there and they'll try to argue their case with the first person that'll talk to them. Meanwhile, five or six people have walked by that might have been willing to listen. And you're so busy trying to win your point, you missed everything. And all they see is an argument. They don't see love. They're not seeing the... And this doesn't mean we don't defend, give the reasons or defenses for God, you know, in, in the word. But we don't need to be so absolutely sure of ourselves that we have to convince somebody. And I've said this many times. There's many things that I'm going to teach that people aren't going to believe, and it doesn't bother me if you don't, don't believe it. 
unless it's about Jesus being, being the, the Son of God and dying for our sins and resurrecting and the Bible being absolutely true. Other than that, most everything I teach, I really don't care whether it's believed or not because that's between them and God. I'll give you the reasons why I believe it, and if you want to believe it, fine. If not, that's fine too. And I've been there with many pastors over the years where I've never agreed with any pastor 100%. And I don't expect anybody here to agree with me 100%. Because it's not going to happen. Now, if you're in this church and I'm your pastor, I would expect you to agree most of the time. <laughs> Otherwise, it's kind of wondering why, why you're here. And that's what I would say with most of these pastors that I've had different things. Most of what they taught, I agreed with. You know, the majority of what they taught, I agreed with. And there'd just be some small, minor things that we would have some interesting discussions about and talk about, but they weren't so important that it was, okay, this is a make or break. And yet many times we get into this habit of, you've just got to believe what I've, you know, you've got to believe this. It's, you, you've got to accept this. And that's something we have to be very careful of. Our dogmatism can really get us in trouble at times. Because if I'm so absolutely sure that you have to agree with me, number one, I have found that many times I might change my mind over the years as God teaches me more. Or they will change their mind as God teaches them. But it's very important that we let God be the teacher. And it's amazing when I listen to some of these pastors that I listen to and, and sometimes they say something that I disagree with and it's like, okay, God, you'll teach them. Sometimes they say things exactly the way that I've taught them and I've never heard anybody else teach. And it's kind of amazing. You know, okay, God, thank you. You've proven out what, I, what I've been believing. But we need to look at, it says, God says, I won't even be inquired of these people. Their hearts are so far from him. They're not even wanting to be coming to God and yet they're wanting to hear the word of God. And they're trying to play both ends of the, of the street. And there's lots of people who do that. You know, I want to want to go to church and look good and, and make my appearance, but I don't want to change my life. But maybe I've done enough good appearances at church that God will say, oh, I'm okay. And this is what was going on here. And it says, verse 4, Therefore speak unto them, saying unto them, Every man of the house of Israel that sets up his idols in his hearts and puts a stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and comes to the prophet... I, the Lord, will answer him according to the multitude of his idols. And basically he's telling them God is going to let them believe what they wanted to believe anyway. He's not going to try to change their mind. They came in believing something. He'll just let them go out believing something. And have you ever met somebody who by the time they've talked about, you know, they came to get some advice and when they left they still believed exactly what they were coming in to believe in the first place? Usually what they're trying to do when they do that is get somebody to agree with them that they're okay. And just say, yeah, you're, you're, you're okay, you know, you're, you're looking at the thing. They're not looking to hear godly wisdom. They're not looking here to hear biblical truth. They're just hoping that somebody somewhere will say, oh yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful idea. And sometimes they're really smart and they've come up with some great worldly wisdom that doesn't match up against God's word and they're looking to be affirmed in their worldly wisdom and God is saying okay you want to you're coming to me that way I'm going to let you walk away with your worldly wisdom and I'm not going to have my prophet waste his breath giving you 
the, the godly advice because you're not going to listen anyway. And this is something that is very interesting when you counsel people. A lot of times people come in and their mind is already set up. And they're coming in for marriage counseling, but they're going to get divorced. And they're sure they're going to get divorced no matter, no matter what you say, no matter what you tell them the Bible says, or they're planning on getting divorced. It's, that's somebody you don't take and waste a lot of time with because it's not going to be there. We have to have our heart set that when God speaks, we're going to listen. We're probably not going to like what he says. Even as Christians, we usually don't like when, you know, when we're going to God to find an answer for some, we kind of know that he's going to tell us what we don't want to hear. Is that where our discernment comes in? Sometimes it's discernment. Sometimes it's training. You know, there's a lot of things that you can pick up, but a lot of it is spiritual discernment. And the Holy Spirit will put a check in your communication with them. And I've had that happen multiple times when somebody will come and go, I want to, I want to speak to the church and I want to say this. And there's just this, you know, in, the, in my mind, uh, there's something wrong here. Even though it sounds good in what they're saying, there's this check, and then I find out they wanted to say much more than what they told me. But I think as you get older and older, so you've been through this stuff so many times, that your discernment is at a higher level, and you can almost read people. I'm more aware of right and wrong in my older age. There's a difference between learning to read people and discernment. And yes, as we get older and more mature and walk, walk in many ways, we do get better at reading people. And some people are very good at reading people. But discernment is, a, is a quite a different event altogether. Discernment is you have no reason for, for what you're seeming to see at all. But God is putting that discernment into you. If you discern and then kind of stick it in your hip pocket. Yeah, and you kind of think this is something's going on. Great example of discernment is the one that I was telling you. It was just the Christian radio was on in the background. I'm just doing my thing. And all of a sudden, alarm bells went off in my head because I heard something and I didn't really know what I, I wasn't even listening. But the Holy Spirit says, start paying attention to this because you're hearing something that is not correct. Usually that is the way discernment works. There's all of a sudden these kind of alarm bells that pop into your head and you go, start paying attention. And that's when discernment comes in. Okay, God, what is it you're trying to draw my attention to? And it could be something that's being said or done or, or going on. And many times, I can't tell you how many times, when somebody has asked me to pray for them, and they'll give me something very specific they want to be prayed for, and I start praying, and God totally changes what I pray for from what they ask to something totally different. And then you just look at the person, and it's like, how did you know that that's what I really needed? That's part of discernment, listening to the Spirit. And not that he just came in, but just as I was praying, my whole prayer changed from what they had asked for to something totally different. And it doesn't happen all the time, but many times people will come in and ask for a prayer for something that you know is not the real problem, and then be amazed as you're talking to them as you talk about the real problem that the Holy Spirit leads you to speak about. So discernment is is more than just reading people. Otherwise, that would be a worldly gift and not a spiritual gift. But yes, that is part of it. As we learn to learn and experience with people, we can get some of that as well, being able to read people. So God's going to say that he's going to allow them to be ministered according to what they had already 
but they'd already counseled themselves on it. They, he's not going to waste his breath telling them what they need to hear because they're not going to listen. Now, if they were going to listen, he would say, tell them everything you're supposed to tell them and, and see if they'll repent. And I have been there many times when I've talked to somebody and there's just, they're, not, they're not listening to anything you said. All they're thinking about is the next thing they're going to comment on and not paying attention at all to what you're speaking. And they're, they're ready to fight and argue with everything. And it's not, worth it. it's not worth spending a lot of spiritual time with them because they're so stuck in the world. They're so stuck in, in, in their decisions. And basically God says, here, <laughs> just let them go. Let them go with their own decision. Because they were going to the prophet. And what did they want, what did they want the prophet to say? Oh, yeah, you're doing really good. You're, you're, you're doing wonderful. Keep doing, keep doing what you wanted. Yeah, he wanted, they wanted a validation of what they were doing. And that's why God says, I'll let them leave validated, but I'm not the one that's going to speak it. So, and then in verse 5, I, I may take the house of Israel in their own heart because they are all estranged from me through their idols. So he says, I'm not going to let them follow their hearts. And we've talked about the idea of following our heart. We're never told to follow our heart because the heart has a lot of emotion in it. It's, it's what... We, usually when you follow your heart, you follow your emotions, you make a lot of dumb errors. Because that's when people get angry and they act out in their anger. They, you know, whatever it might be, even, even things that, what have people done in the name of love? You know, they feel they love somebody so much and they've done some, some really dumb things have been done under the emotion of love. Sometimes it's an embarrassing you know, thing when you move out in that, in that area. Discernment will be the word of the Lord coming to you because it's God telling you discernment. Yeah, because it's not you discerning what's going on. It's God discerning and speaking to you. Like I say, it's much more than learning to read people. That's just a human, human ability that we can learn to read people to a degree. But discernment is a totally different you know, creature altogether because it's from God. And it is God literally speaking to me, not necessarily in an audible voice, but not, not even necessarily understanding exactly what's going on. I don't remember all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but it's discernment. Discernment is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right, verse 6. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, Repent and turn yourself from your idols, and turn away your faces from your abominations. For everyone in the house of Israel, or the stranger that sojourns in Israel, which separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts a stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself, and I will set my face against that man and will make him a sign and a proverb and will cut him off from the midst of the, my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord." And if the prophet be deceived when he has spoken th the thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet and will stre stretch out my hand upon him and will destroy him from the midst of all my people. And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity and the punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeks, seeketh unto him, that the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, says the Lord God. So here God says, if they come to him, his word to them is, repent and turn yourself from your idols and from your abominations. 
But if you don't want to believe that something's a sin, you're not going to believe that it's a sin no matter how clear it is. The most important thing about this is until somebody is going to listen to God and repent from their sins, it doesn't really matter what you're going to tell them about sin. Our job is to evangelize. And how do we evangelize? We could say, you know, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Well, I'm not going to sit there and argue with them about something they don't believe is a sin being sin. Because it's not going to work. Until they have God in their heart, it's not going to mean anything to them. I'm not going to sit there and argue with anybody about it that's you know, not going to buy into it. Because I know that it's going to be harder and harder in this day to get people convinced that sin is sin. And that we can't just rewrite the Bible to fit what the world's evolving into. And that's what the world wants us to do. The world wants us to evolve from the Bible into whatever man wants to say is good and bad. Which means that if we hold on to the biblical truth, we are going to be more and more out of touch with, uh, with what's going on in the world. But to me, that is a good thing. I want to be in touch with God and out of touch with the world because that is what we're supposed to do and it has been what the remnant has always been about. The remnant is always out of step with the world. The disciples were out of step with the world of their day. The, uh, Moses was out of step with the world of, in his day. Abraham was out of step with the world in his day. The remnant for God, those who stand for God, will always be out of step with the world. Job was out of step with his, with his friends and the, and the world because of his judgment and God testing him. Daniel was out of step with everybody, even the other, Jew, other Jews. I mean, we only get Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being talked about, but there were other Jewish captives that were brought into them that said, oh, we'll just eat what the king says. We're, we're away from home. It's no big deal. They didn't get promoted as Daniel did. We see over and over. Now, many times when people are out of step with the world, they end up dead. All right, that's happened all through scriptures. People have died because they're out of step with the world. But the remnant is always going to be out of step. Well, we have to honor God. But what is always going to happen as we are walking with God the world is going to start pulling more and way, more away from us. As, as you said, people have been friends for a long time. When you start getting serious about God, sometimes we'll pull away from you and end up losing those friendships because they don't want to be hearing about God. They don't want to hear about righteousness. They don't want to hear about holiness. The key to all of this is we still love them. We'll pray for them. We will try to be as good best friend we can, but one of the reasons that when you first get saved, you can lead lots of people to Christ is because you have lost, lots of lost friends who still kind of know you. But the more you walk with God, the less unsaved friends you're going to have because either they're going to get saved or they're going to get so irritated at your spirituality and you're talking about God that they get, you know, they say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with it. After a while, all you get you know, around you is other Christian friends because you can talk about the same things and you get to and you enjoy the same things but we want we're not trying to drive our friends away but our, our very living for God will drive them away because they'll go uh, you know and the word they use in our day is intolerant when when I went to college and the second time and people said well you're so you're you're intolerant and, and narrow-minded I'm going thank you and they go what 
I go, I have to follow God. If that makes me narrow-minded and intolerant in your eyes, then I praise God that it, that's true because I'm going to believe that he's true and that everybody else is wrong. I understand the point, Matt, but isn't there a point where you're, you're trying to bring... Um, I mean, was it one of instructions to like, bring people closer to you? Or not closer to you, but closer to God? They're to be brought closer to God, but how will they be brought closer to God if I allow them to be to think that I'm compromising with them? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I mean, I'm not really making a statement as much as I'm asking how, how, how do you do that now? I lift up God, because it's all the work of the Holy Spirit anyway. If you don't um, present an accurate picture, you're not really, you're not really helping the God anyway. That's right. That's why you've got to be able to present, this is a sin. Whether they like it or not, it's a sin. Because until they understand that they're, they shouldn't like it because they're not going to like it. But they have to come to the point where, okay, yes, I've sinned. Now, am I going to sit there and argue with them that it's a sin? Absolutely not. I'm just going to tell them this is what God says. When I talked in, when I was in Puyallup, Washington, and I talked to my assistant manager about homosexuality, I said, I, it's a sin. God calls it a sin. And we just dropped it at that. I didn't ask her whether she agreed or not. It just said, God says it's a sin. Our attitude with it is just a quick statement. This is what God says it is. And this is why some places are, we can't be so sure that it's a sin, but things like homosexuality, adultery, fornication, we know that those are sins. Lying, stealing, having other gods uh, are sins. When we get to something like gambling or smoking or, or drinking, there's no verses that say these are sins. But there is drunkenness. drunkenness is a sin. Gossip is a sin. There are places where we know that there are sins and we go, these are sins. Now, are these other things probably not good for us? That would probably be a true statement. To be drinking and doing drugs and you know gambling, especially if you have an addictive personality, you should not gamble or drink, you know, because those will both lead into deeper problems. But again, our job isn't necessarily to argue with people about what's right and what's wrong. Our job is to show them a righteous lifestyle so that they know that there's something other than what they are doing. And we bring it up and we go, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to follow God. When the opportunity comes to commit adultery and you say, no, I'm not going to go there because I'm going to honor God. It comes up an opportunity to commit fornication. No, I'm not going to commit fornication because God says it's a sin and I can't do it. When these things come up, people see the difference in your life. They see how we walk different, and we're going to maybe get there. <laughs> this verse talks about, this chapter talks about that kind of stuff. But it says, God himself will come up against these people and say, I will set my face against you. And we've talked about this, the idea of having God set his face against them to actively oppose their life. They came to seek him and he says, fine, let's show you what, you, what, what it's like to be against me. You're not wanting to follow me, I'm going to be against you. And if God is against you, you're in trouble. You're in trouble if he's, if he's setting his face against you. Who can be against you? Right, so it's just the oh, yeah, if he's God against you, who's going to be for you? Right. The point of this is why would God do this? Why would he set his face against them? Is not to destroy them, but to try to draw them to him. 
to, keep, to teach them, to draw them to him. This is what all of the book of Revelation is about. When God sends these judgments, it's not to just say, look how mean I can be to people. His whole purpose is, I want you to come to me. I'm going to make things rough on you, but if you come to me, you're going to see blessing. And this is what God will do. And he does this with us as Christians. When we disobey and he has to discipline us, he makes our life rough. What's the purpose of that rough time? To say, come back to me and don't do it again. But more than, more than anything else, it's to come back. Your life is rough. Come back. Come to your senses, as they said in the prodigal son. When he came to his senses, he realized that he was worse off than his father's servants. And God is saying, I'm going to set my face against you and I will cut you cut them off from the midst of their people that you will know that I am the Lord okay God's purpose in discipline is always to let people know he is the Lord and if the prophet be deceived and he has spoken the thing I the Lord have just have deceived that prophet and I will stretch out my hand upon him and will destroy him from the midst of the Israel so he says, even if you went to the prophet and the prophet agreed with you, then God's still going to move against you because the prophet was persuaded or allowed to be naive in many cases in this, in this word. that He was naive and, and, non, and simple. And it says, and they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity and the punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeks unto him. People will bear their iniquity. When people sin... And this is the strange thing about it. The, the world will try to convince us that they don't believe that there's such a thing as sin and that there's all these things about it. But the very fact that they argue that it's not a sin is showing that they are under conviction that it is a sin. Now, if they can say, okay, well, that's your opinion and walk away without, without having to argue it, they may not understand that it's a sin. But the minute they start trying to defend their lifestyle, their way they're doing things, they're under conviction. When, some, when the alcoholic is busy trying to defend their drinking and giving you a million reasons why, they're under conviction. When the person who's committing adultery is giving you all the arguments and the reasons why they're committing adultery, they're under conviction. Because if they're not under conviction, they're not going to care what you think about it. Because they have no problem with it. It's, not, it's really not a problem, so they're not going to be concerned what you think about it. Think about when you defend yourself the most is when you feel that you're wrong and you know you're wrong and you're trying to convince yourself and, uh, yourself and others. When somebody is trying to defend themselves real hard about this, they know that what they're doing is wrong. Otherwise, they would just go, well, that's, your, that's their opinion. I'm that's one cue right there. If you're debating with someone and they all of a sudden get excited and start they're trying to overpower you. The world has the inborn conscience that God has put in them. They know right and wrong. Now, they do it long enough. They can sear that conscience and no longer understand right from wrong. But there was a point in everybody's life where no matter how bad they get, at one time they knew it was wrong. And they probably still, deep down, even though they've seared their conscience, know that it's wrong, but they've pushed it so far down that they don't recognize the pain of that conscience anymore. 
And God is saying, I'm going to turn against you, but you and they will bear their punishment for their, their own iniquity. People sear their conscience. They do it so, they do it so much, they, they disobey so much that they basically start ignoring it and they get used to the, the pain of their conscience. I've lied so much that I don't even recognize that it's, that it's wrong anymore because I, that's, that's all I do. Yeah, God crucifies our flesh. He doesn't. They will sear their own conscience. They will do something so often, so much that basically they're ignoring it and they no longer hear the, the still small voice of their conscience. Nobody is going to sear their conscience in every single aspect of their life. So they're always going to have that knowledge that they have sin. And this is why I say, when I'm witnessing to somebody and they don't believe that homosexuality or adultery or fornication is a sin, then I won't worry about it. But they've lied, they've stolen something in their life, and I will work on those. There's some sin that they're going to recognize as a sin that they deserve punishment for. I don't need to sit there and argue with them about, well, this is a sin. Because I'm wasting my time trying to convince them of some area of their life being a sin until they get God in their heart who then can work in and reestablish their conscience as they get crucified in other areas and they start being sanctified and God says, now let's work on <laughs> this area. How many times in your own life as, as you've grown and been sanctified by God, has God shown you an area of your life that you didn't think was really that bad or sinful until God said, this is the new area we're going to work on because for you it's sin. Uh, I had that event in, not, not on Obama, but a pre previous president that I couldn't stand and I talked, about, talked bad about all the time and God says you can't do that because you're not praying for him. God will work in our life and keep touching us and saying, with each new area of our life saying, this is something you need to change. This is an area that you have to change. This is an area you have to change, and he'll be doing that the rest of our life. It may start out, when you first get saved, it's gonna start out with really big things. I gotta get rid of the fornication that I'm doing, or this part of my life, or that part of my life, or my, my cursing, or my, or my gossiping, or whatever it might be, and they're, they're really big, obvious to everybody issues. But the longer you work with God and walk with God, the more he's going to start dealing with pinpointing areas in your life and saying, okay, you've gotten all that big stuff out of your life. Let's now get the hard stuff to get out of your life. The stuff that nobody knows, the stuff that nobody sees, the, the way you think, the way you, the way you don't forgive people, the way you don't love people enough. And God slowly starts changing those. And, and every time he turns around, there's some other area deeper in your heart that he shows you because we're told our heart is deceitfully wicked and above who can know it. And God starts showing us how evil we really are. The more we grow with him, the more he shows us how evil we are. And sometimes it gets down to literally just thoughts. You know, I wanted to really smack that person. That's my, my lifestyle underneath. I keep it under control. Nobody knows about that, that huge anger problem I have. But God says, no, we're going to get rid of that. And he starts working on getting those problems out of you. He gets rid of the lustful thoughts out of somebody that has nothing but lustful thoughts and they're having to work out their life. And he goes, I'm going to work these out of you. It takes time. All of this stuff comes down to how are we going to listen to God? He, he's going to take and work out the pollution in other people's lives, but sometimes it takes some really hard things for that to happen. And if they're not his children, 
it's going to be hard for us to understand. You know, all we can do is, is give them the gospel. All we can do is give them the truth. All we can do is lift Jesus up and love them. And sometimes we love them and it works and they'll turn to God. Other times we love them and they're still going to go the wrong way. But it all comes down to a reality of how much are they loved? How much of God's love is shown? Why does God say we come to him? In First, first uh, John it says, we love him because he first loved us. And until we see the love of God, we won't respond to his love. Now, God's love is sometimes revealed in the pressures and everything to say, you know, you're, you're receiving your, your reward for your wrongdoing. But oftentimes his love is revealed by his grace. That we don't get everything that we deserve. And God says, this is my grace gift to you. You're not getting it. And I just want you to know that it's me. And God wants us to turn to him on that way and, and to love one another. Learn to be forgiving. Love to be, learn to love people. And too often I hear this attitude from people, well, they just deserve what they're getting. You know, they make me so mad they deserve it. Well, I understand that they make you so mad and that they deserve it. But, you know, if God was to look at us that way, well, how, how wonderful or bad our life would be. If, we, if God got so mad at us and he deserves to be mad at us, no matter how much we're walking with him, we do things that deserve for him to be mad at us, and he gave us what we deserved, none of us would ever want to be around that God. But his love and his grace and his mercy draw us to him. Most people that come to Christ are drawn by the loving kindness of somebody around them that knew Christ. This is usually what draws people. They just they get loved. They, they're, not, they're not rejected by the people. They're said, you know, I can't say that what you're doing is right, but I still love you and want you to know that God cares for you and that he wants you to be with him. And this is the important thing about it. I will always preach God's word about sin. Sin is sin. But I still want people to be, feel loved. I don't want them to feel rejected. I'm not rejecting them when I say it's sin. They may perceive it as that, but it's not at all what it is. Sin is sin no matter what. And I'm going to say it's wrong, and God is going to, and you have to answer to God. But you're going to have to answer to God. You're not answering to me. I'm not God. I'm not the one they're going to have to answer to. I'm not going to participate in their lifestyle. I'm not going to participate in their sin. But I'm also not going to sit there and say, you know, that, I can't be around you because of this unless it's you know, something that's really abominable. But I'm definitely not participating in their, their, their sinful lifestyle. But I'm going to love them. I'm going to tell them it's wrong. I'm going to tell them that, that it is sin if the opportunities come up. But it's going to be you're loved. God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It all comes down to his love. His love motivated him to provide the way of escape. Our love for those that we're dealing with should provide the gospel message to them. God wants to love you. He wants to love you. He wants you to be his child. If they can get saved, then God can work on all the other issues in their life, just as he did with me and does with me and you. 
We, none of us are perfect. None of us will be perfect in this lifetime. God is continually to work on our life. Hopefully, if we're walking with God, we are more perfect today than we were however many years you need to go back. You know, hopefully you're a bit more perfect today than you were yesterday, but it's hard to, under, hard to see that growth in yesterday. But we go back six months, a year, two years, three years, four years, and we see how far God has brought us. Too many Christians worry too much about the sin of the, of the lost world rather than the gospel, giving them the gospel. And God is not worried about the sin of the lost world because they're not his children. He only cares, are you going to come to me and repent? Once you repent and you're his child, now he can work for, with you from the inside out and not from the outside in. And usually as Christians, that's what we want. We want to see him work from the outside in. Show me how good you're going to get. And that's how we judge whether people are growing. And that's not necessarily the way to look because somebody could turn and, you know, have great outward appearances and be totally evil in their thought life. Men, men are good at this at times, you know, not acting on their lustful actions, but being very lustful in their thoughts. And God is saying, no, I don't want just your outward actions. I want your thoughts in line as well. And God will work on that. And that's why I'm saying he starts with the outward, you know, the big outwards. And when you first get saved, he'll work the, the drunkenness out of you and this, that, and the, you know, the, the lying and the cheating and all these things out of you. But over the years, then he starts, okay, now let's go get the real problems. <laughs> it wasn't those outward expressions that everybody saw. Let's, we're going to work on your inner thought life, what led to the problems with the outside. And this is what he's saying to the people. I'm going to work with them. I'm going to, I'm going to, send, them, I'm going to send them the punishments that they deserve. But I'm going to try to get this. Why was those punishments coming? So that hopefully they would turn to God and ask for forgiveness, that they would repent. And what is repentance? It is to turn around from away from what you're doing and turn back to God. I give up what's wrong and turn to God. And the most important part of repentance is to turn to God and seek His face, seek His desires. Because if I turn away from this sin and go to another sin, it's not doing a bit of good. Okay, I repented from that sin. I just didn't do a 180. I did a 90 degree turn and went to this other sin. That doesn't do us a bit of good. God is saying, I want you to repent. 180 turn, degree turn away from what you're doing toward God. Repent. Turn around completely and seek after him. That way we'll have God's face shine upon us with, with happiness and glory, not his face set against us with anger and discipline. And it all comes down to learning to love the way he loves how do, we, how do we end up getting changed? I don't know about you, but I know for me, I've not been changed too many times by somebody telling me that what I'm doing is wrong and that I have to change. It doesn't work very well with me. And I'm a fairly compliant person overall, but you still want to tell me you cannot do something and every fiber in my flesh says, well, sure I can. You, you know, I can, do anything I, I, can, I can do anything I want to do. You, know, yeah, you watch me. You know, it's, you're telling me I can't. God's grace and his love though has changed much of my life because he shows that loving kindness to us and says I've got another way for you to walk I have another way for you to live just turn to me and let me do the work with you his love and his kindness I mean somebody could have given me all 613 laws in the Bible and it wouldn't have changed me at all 
Matter of fact, it would have made me miserable. I go, like, you know, because I can't keep them and I'd end up getting worse. And that's usually what happens when somebody gives you law. And I'm so bad a person, you know, and I can't keep these laws, so I might as well just go four out. And this is what I've said about the scriptures. If the scriptures aren't 100% true, then we might as well eat, drink, and be merry because this is all we have in this world. Just live as much sin as you possibly can if the Bible's not true. Now, I know that the Bible's true, and I know that God is in me, so I know that it's true, and I know that he's given me great blessings for being obedient to him. And so, I, because I know it's true, and I absolutely believe it's true, I want to live as best I can toward it. It takes him changing me to be able to live it, and it's taken him many years to change much of my life to live it. And the great news is the more you change, the more it becomes real and the more you start saying, I want to follow it even more. Why? Not because I'm sitting here being pounded over the head with do these changes, but because I know he loves me and he has nothing but good for me. Nothing for, but good for me to be an obedient into the scriptures. And because I've seen so much of it be for my good and for him teaching me, it makes it easier and easier as I step forward into other areas saying, God, I just want to change as quick as possible. And I've all told you, I used to be very stubborn. I used to be very stubborn toward God, and it took him a long time to, to work things into my life. And I know I'm not the only person out there like that. But the more you start walking in and the more you start seeing these successful changes and the value of the successful changes, the more you start desiring just to change and make it easier for him. Because you start saying, yeah, he's it makes good. It easier for you. It makes life easier all the way around. Living a good life is not enough. It's God changing us and us living the way God wants us to. And he does it so gently. God is so gentle when he helps us to change. He doesn't, I mean, he'll be insistent. He'll make things hard. If you need, if you need to be hammered over the head with a two-by-four, he'll hammer you over the head with a two-by-four. Just as I heard the pastor say this last week, what does it take? to bring you to God, and that's what God will use. So if, if you need a two-by-four to come to God, he'll use a two-by-four. If you, if you need everything to go wrong in your life before you'll come to God, he'll, he'll let everything go wrong in your life. If you have a soft and tender heart that says, God, I just want to love you, and, and, and he just barely whispers in your voice and you turn to him, you're going to have a lot easier time. It doesn't mean nothing bad is going to happen to you, but he doesn't have to be as harsh on you to get your attention. Most of us don't. We need to, we need to have a hard time. We, we think about Job. Job needed some training in this, and I've talked about this. He needed his, his theology tweaked because he was a prosperity believer, just as his friends were. He believed that if you honored God, you automatically got rewarded. The book of Job was a multifold thing. God is saying, Satan, you go ahead and test him. He's going to honor me. But at the same time, God's going, okay, by Satan testing him, he's going to be able to prove to Job who I really am. Not that I reward, you know, that all I do is reward good and punish evil, but that I am the God that he needs to be fully dependent on. And this is where we need to get in our life. God loves us so much, we need to depend on him no matter what seems to be happening in our life. Good or bad by our senses does not mean anything because God has a reason for it. And this is why I love the statement, God is good and all the time God is good. Okay, God is always good. He cannot be bad. And all the time he is good, no matter what comes into our life, it is 
for good. And we need to really start understanding that because once we really grab hold of that and believe it, then no matter what happens in my life, I'm, I can go with the statement that I keep telling you, I tell God frequently, God, I don't understand how it can be good, but you've promised it's for good, and I'm just going to accept what you've set my way. Makes life a whole lot easier than sitting there trying to fight every bad thing that you think is bad because you just say, God, it's for, you've got a reason. You're sovereign and you have a reason. But it takes a long time to come to that. Oh, it takes, I've had 44 years of practice at it. I don't expect, I don't expect anybody to, I mean, some people are hearing this for the first time and it's going to take time to get into that mindset. Everything is always about him wanting to teach us something. And we have a choice. We can either just accept it and have it nice and easy or easier, or we can fight it tooth and nail and we can, get, we can have to be hammered, hammered into our heads. But even with having said that, is what you go through any lighter just because you accept it? Not necessarily, but when you're not fighting it, it's not going to seem as bad. Because you're going, God, I, I know there's a reason and maybe it's as bad as what Job went through. You lose everything. But Job's faith was still in God. God, I don't understand, but you know, I, I've done what you're right. I should be getting blessed, you know, but I'm not. So what are you trying to teach me type deal? And we sit back and we go, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I've had people laugh at me when I go, well, nothing bad ever happens to me. And I really feel like nothing's bad ever happens to me. And then people point out different things to me. And I'm going, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess I've had some bad things, but... I honestly have looked at things from a very positive point that God is, has a reason for it and that there, there's some use in it. And as I go through it, I go, God, thank you. I, and sometimes, I, like I said, I don't always know. And a great example I give was four years ago when my wife and I took the car down to, to Phoenix and the car broke down. I had more people worried about us and how we were going to get home and all this stuff and I'm going, God's got it all under control. I don't know how we're going to do it now, but right now I'm here for this conference and we're just going to concentrate on the conference. I have three days before I have to worry about how I'm getting home and God will have it taken care of by then. And made a few phone calls and God took care of getting us back home and the car. But am I saying I did this really good? No, I've learned over a long period of time just to sit back on most cases and say, God, you're going to fix it. You're going to understand what's going on and you're going to help. We need to learn to have that much faith in God. Now, how did I get that much faith? I went through a lot of practice <laughs> where I messed up and I didn't do it right. And then I started doing a few right and it's like, oh, this is, it's much more fun to do it right than to, to sit there and fight and argue against it. Every situation depends upon how you react to it. Yeah. And if you just back off and let God be the one that's getting the glory and say, God, you're going to work it out, he'll work it out because it is so important. So we learn just to turn everything over to God. We learn not to worry. We learn not to be overly concerned about things. It takes time. And I'm going to say, you know, I've got a lot of experience at it. And I'm not even perfect at it myself. And I've had lots of experience and I'm further along than most people. But God's going to keep putting us in those. And he's put me through some pretty tough things as well. They say, Are, okay, you're saying you believe this. What about now? <laughs> Do you still believe it when I make it this difficult for you? And that sometimes is the hard place to go when you go, wow, this is really bad. I don't understand how it can be, but God, 
And those are the ones that usually go, God, I don't understand, but you promised it's for good, so I'm going to just accept that it's for good. And when it's really simple, I kind of just ignore the problem altogether. And, you know, but when it gets to be the really hard ones, those are the times when I go, God, I don't understand, but you said it's for good. We need to be able to understand. And this is why I say, when, we, when God teaches us something, he's going to test what we've, what we've been taught. He's going to say, are you willing to trust me no matter what? Abraham was said, leave the Ur of Chaldees. Now, we don't really think twice about it in our day and age. You know, leaving home is not a big deal to us. But in Abraham's day, to leave home, to leave family, family was your protection. Family was your support system. It was everything. And extended families, you, your, your kids got married and you added another tent uh, right next to yours for them to live in. It was not, you, your, your family didn't run off and, and leave very often. And yet God said, I want you to depend on me, not your family. You're going to depend on me wherever you go. We see somebody like Joseph being sent into slavery and you know, still being faithful to God. And you know, that's kind of amazing because we would have said, well, God, you've, <laughs> you've abandoned me. You sent me into this slave market and here I am as a slave. You know, who, who, I'm, I'd be a fool to keep worshiping you. And Joseph is, I'm going to keep worshiping God. I'm going to keep honoring God. And he ends up being promoted. Now, if he had failed, we would never have heard about, <laughs> heard about him. But, but we see God has a plan, always has that plan. And verse 11, real quick, because this is going to end this paragraph. That the house of Israel may no more... Astray, uh, go no more astray from me, neither pollute any more of their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, saith the Lord God. The whole purpose of the discipline, the whole purpose of the hard times was to get them to repent and come back to him. And God sometimes will make life very hard on us if we don't want to turn back to him. And that's why we need to learn to have very soft, humble hearts. So that when God puts his finger on us, okay, God, I, 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 I'm ready to turn, I'm ready to turn, I'm coming back. And if we have that hard heart, he has to put more than just a finger on our life to get us to turn around and correct our life. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. We ask that you Help us, Lord, have developed tender hearts, that you help us to learn to listen to your voice and respond quickly, and that you will show us your great love in all that we do in your son's name. Amen.